It's April 2nd, 1994, and The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get by Morrissey is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Chart. Hey! (laughs) Maiden Voyage. Hello and welcome to... Tell me all your thoughts on pod. I'm Al. I'm Trev. I'm Quillen. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the uh, Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, uh, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in 1994 of April. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we'll be talking about The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get, the lead single from Morrissey's fourth album, Vauxhall and I. Uh, but before we dive into the song, uh, let's talk a little bit about our plans for the podcast in general. So we're going through these number one songs on the Modern Rock chart, starting with uh, Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. So I feel like we should explain why, at least for a brief moment. And my thinking is that, uh, firstly, it was kind of overwhelming to look at going through the whole decade. And particularly in the early 90s, there was like a different number one song every week. and this is a little bit more manageable. We're going to be pretty soon. We're going to be in the era of like eight week, 10 week, 12 week, 16 week, number one songs. But uh, one of the things that interested me about this time period is that Kurt Cobain's dead. He's like the original grunge alternative God that the, the influencer of so much <laughs> that's on the radio during this time. Um, so when a lot of people talk about this time, it's like the original is, is gone and now it's just the copies. It's the bubble grunge imitators who are left over and they're, they're more commercial and they're less pure and they're less authentic. But I think we all kind of maybe like this time period a little bit more. That's what I'm here for. Definitely. <laughs> I came for the bubble grunge, the pop. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like um, you said, it was a lot different in like, I mean, if Nevermind was 91 and like 91, 92, 93, the, the charts were uh, different. There, I mean, there's a pretty clear like break at some point where it turns to like the sort of, like you said, bubble grunge uh, style of uh, alternative rock. And that's, yeah, that's good stuff. I, there's also kind of a curious thing that commentators at least say about the time period around 1994, which is that alternative prior to this point was a scene, but then around this time it starts to crystallize into a genre. And I guess what I mean by that is that really what we call alternative, um, well, Billboard called it modern rock at this time, but it was also called college rock uh, mm-hmm. at a certain time. And when Rock Chart started, when Billboard started keeping track of all of this stuff, they were basically, it was all based on airplay from college radio stations. And it was like, alternative meant any rock that was outside the mainstream. Like any rock that wasn't Bon Jovi or Poison or Aerosmith or whatever. And so it was like punk, new wave, jangly guitars, post-punk, and then finally grunge. But in 1994, this is when, at least according to some people, alternative radio kind of turns into Nirvana-based 
music. Right. Quiet verse, loud chorus, angsty people yelling. And I don't think that any of us necessarily believe that, but that's at least kind of one of the prevailing theories. Yeah, I think that like alternative, like as a, a genre became prominent. I mean, kind of like you said, yeah, like it became prominent around 94. Uh, prior to that, I know that there was like a lot of overlap with like 80s rock, like Guns N' Roses was still very prominent in the early 90s. And, you know, I think there was even some like hair metal that was still bleeding over into like the rock charts. For sure. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely none of that after 94, at least on the charts. It's still alive and well, but not well, charting. It, it like kind of transitioned to what grunge was kind of early on right like um from hair metal to like alice in chains and soundgarden and those like heavier like more like um black sabbath kind of inspired early grunge bands like i feel like uh that's kind of a natural progression from hair metal to to that um yeah yeah yeah, and the other kind of curious thing about this time period is that we're we're getting to a point where the modern rock chart, which is supposed to be the alternative stuff, is increasingly similar to the mainstream rock chart with some crucial differences that we'll we'll take note of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you basically if you imagine in your hometown what radio station labeled itself as alternative versus one that labeled itself as like just rock and that's the difference that we're talking about so we're all uh at least quill and i were we're detroit area listeners and 89x was the alternative and uh 101 yeah okay yeah so that was like your uh that was your mainstream rock radio in flint we had the banana and it was a combination of both because we couldn't have uh, two radio stations that played rock music, I guess. <laughs> um, so we're talking about the 90s. There's a lot of 90s nostalgia in yeah. the air right now, 90s turn. Is this a nostalgic podcast that we're about to do? Um, yes. Hard yes. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I can't lie about it and say like, oh, no, it's just genuine. Like, I mean, when I was growing up in the 90s, you know, my, uh, like the generation before us was listening to rock from the seventies. And I mean, that's basically what we're doing now. Like this is classic rock for us. Yes. definitely. You know, this is our Led Zeppelin. So, um, I can't pretend like that doesn't play a huge factor in, you know, like why I enjoy it so much because it definitely like, I can't separate, um, you know, where I was when, when this was on the radio all the time with, with when I hear it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm not, you know, embarrassed or ashamed to say that it's nostalgic. It's just it, it definitely plays a pretty strong part in in this. It uh oh, oh sorry, Al. Uh, go ahead, it, Quill. Yeah, definitely nostalgic. Um, I, I mean, even uh, even some of the songs that are legitimately bad, um, are good, right? Um, to to us to a degree, um, depending on the song, I guess. But for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah, and great. even some of the good songs are still funny. Absolutely, for some reason. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely. Yeah, I I agree with Trev. For me personally, this will be a, a an experience of nostalgia. Um, irony too. Um, 
yeah, definitely uh, listening to some of these songs we'll be covering in the future. Uh, I can't help but listen to just ironically. Um, no real, uh, like, sincere enjoyment out of it, but uh, uh, just kind of mm-hmm. uh, an experiment and uh, uh, a laugh, I guess. But, um, yeah. The, yeah, I feel like it can be simultaneously nostalgic yes, and a little definitely. bit ironic and and sincere and uh something that I want to kind of laugh at yep. and mock at yep. the same time. Um so the whole premise of the our podcast is that we're talking about the modern rock chart that comes from Billboard. So I think it's be worth explaining a little bit and forgive me if this just <laughs> sounds like a lecture but uh the modern rock chart was started in 1988 and it was based solely on airplay some charts are based on sales and airplay this was based solely on airplay and uh, it was reported directly by alternative and college rock uh djs so uh you know people just self-reporting what they were playing and in 1991 um nielsen started to monitor all of this so that they were actually using sound scan scanning the airwaves and picking up what tracks were being played so we had a more accurate idea of what was actually being played on these on these radio stations so if you look back early on it's a really wide variety of music and even actually if you look in 1991 the week that uh, smells like teen spirit came out and nirvana started to break you've got u2 you've got the chili peppers but you also have some bands that we didn't hear on the radio much growing up. There are bands like Blur, uh, the Pixies, even Kate Bush was on alternative rock radio. And I think that that illustrates that alternative was a scene or a mindset and not necessarily a genre. Like alternative was nonconformist. And that is something that's kind of hard to deny, I think, about post-Nirvana radio is there is a lot more conformity <laughs> to a particular sound. Um, so when Nirvana's success went mainstream, big business started looking for alternative bands and, uh, alternative bands were being played on mainstream radio. And so there was less and less of a distinction between modern rock and mainstream, uh, billboard charts, but labels chased down these bands that fit this new alternative genre. So we've got our chunky guitars and our angsty vocals and our loud, quiet, loud dynamics. So ultimately, what Billboard defines as mainstream rock, that's not what we're talking about, is a station that plays a variety of rock music by traditional or classic rock artists and by alternative rock artists. A modern rock, uh, the modern rock chart is defined by Billboard as stations that play rock music, but not by traditional or classic rock artists. So mainstream can be both old and new while modern rock is only these newer things. But ultimately, again, it's about what stations played it. So we're talking about, for, uh, for most of us in the Detroit area, 89X versus <laughs> The Riff. Uh, and in 2009, the modern rock chart was renamed the alternative chart. So uh, we're going to kind of use those words interchangeably. Is that enough? Yeah. Think we're good? I think it covers it. All right, let's listen to some Morrissey. Essential parts of your mind's landscape, whether you
okay, so this is a weird outlier. Yeah. Morrissey, I, I don't remember ever hearing Morrissey in my childhood Same. on alternative uh, radio. I remember, uh, like, maybe 97, 98, watching a lot of um, reruns of SNL on Comedy Central. And um, I remember seeing a Morrissey performance on that. And that was honestly, that may have been the first time I'd ever heard him. Like, definitely, you know, I was middle school Mm -hmm. at that point, um, not familiar with the Smiths. Um, And uh, yeah, that was like, I had no idea who this dude was in his band. I had no idea. Like, I'd never heard the songs before, and I never heard them again um at that time like outside of that context so yeah i was very surprised (laughs) yeah i remember hearing how soon is now on the radio uh but that was wedding singer soundtrack for me was kind of my uh introduction to that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i remember uh the first time i heard morrissey was in my friend's basement we were watching um the vhs collection of um his videos, the Smiths videos. Um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but there's the performance of um, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now on Top of the Pops. And I remember thinking uh, that the lyrics were so uh, so ridiculous that they were really funny. And um, But it was also mm-hmm. kind of hard to digest the crooning. Um, you know, it was probably like, 16 or 17 at the time and i'd never really heard anything like it and so i was like ah this guy's a weirdo um which i think fits in well with uh you know you mentioned it doesn't sound like anything else uh on the radio in the 90s but i think somebody like him could have been played on the radio only you know at this point in time because he's a weirdo Mm -hmm. or he sounds like one so um yeah um from there yeah, I mean, you know, gradually got more uh, interested in the Smiths. And by the time, I think around 2005, I think they were my favorite bands, my absolute favorite band. Loved them. Um, and, uh, you know, started gradually getting into Morrissey solo stuff. Um, and now, at this point, I've, I've pretty much worn out the Smiths, and I, I have a hard time listening to it and not uh, getting something or getting something from it because. I've heard all of it so frequently. Um, so now when I, you know, if I need to listen to something, it's usually solo stuff. Um, but even that's pretty infrequent at this point. You all might remember from our college and post-college years that I have not always been the biggest I recall. fan of Morrissey. That's, yeah. that's fine. Uh, it's hard to articulate, but... I've had some practice over the years. In fact, I've had to really back off of talking so much about this, but I always feel like Johnny Marr must have spent some time coming up with these sure, yeah. parts, right? And then I'm imagining that, okay, he brings them to band practice or whatever. I love where and this Morrissey, is going. Can I, yes, can I do my Morrissey impression? <laughs> Okay, so when Morrissey says, I've got a poem, 
I'd like to add it to the song. And Johnny Marr uh, says, well, why don't we sit down and like figure out, you know, why don't, why, don't you, why don't we like adjust the words to the chords and like make, you know, like collaborate on this song. He's like, no, it's okay. I've got a melody. And that's like kind of always the way the Smith songwriting goes for me. It just sounds like he's not listening to anything the rest of the band yeah, does. I think that's he's exactly just got his own thing actually. that he does. Um, I think and, that's how their songs were, were written. Uh, Trev, are you? Yeah. So Trevor, this song is not a good. good, No, I'm I'm serious. Like I've I've read it in books where I would just be like, you know, the 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 guitarist and the bassist and the drummer would get together and they'd you know compose the song, and then sometimes you know, especially by the end, Morrissey would just show up with lyrics and just like do whatever the hell he wanted, crank it out in a a take or two, and that was that. Uh, I I was wondering if it was like, yeah, is it uh the dismemberment plan that. Travis Morrison would start off the songs with the vocal melody and they would write yes around that yeah 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 um any theories about what this song is actually about uh you know longing desire vegetarianism um <laughs> isolation <laughs> manchester <yes>. white supremacy <laughs> keats and yates he uh yeah i mean <laughs> He's got he's got about two or three different uh, themes, and it's all kind of interchangeable. Uh, this to me is just like Morrissey on like cruise controller, like auto drive, where he's just like, yeah, here's a, a phrase that sounds vaguely like something I would say, and I'm gonna repeat it a lot, <laughs> and then like kind of just do these verses with like two lines in them, and that's that, and. Uh, yeah, it seems um the more I thought about it the more I like paid attention. Um it was not there's not a lot going on. Um which of course is, you know, how big singles happen, I guess, you know. It's not uh um rare for like the popular single to be something that uh, you know, is not all that interesting. I took a little look around <laughs> songmeanings.com today and joe laughlin on songmeanings.com says that this is about morrissey's frustration with mike joyce <laughs> the drummer of the smiths who had recently had a falling out with morrissey that involves some <laughs> litigation i don't have anything to back that up but it did have a couple of you know it's true on it uh would you like to hear what bcat004 yes. had to say about it <laughs> They said, for me, this song is about knowing someone likes you and you tease and tease and tease them until they give in and all caps, (laughs) take you. (laughs) And finally, would you like to hear what Tada123 has to say about this song? This is excerpt from from basically (laughs) pages of comments from Tada123. It is up to us to ascend all planets in the name of the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's it uh, <laughs> nothing else that's, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't I didn't I didn't copy down anymore well, to die indeed Trev you want to talk about the video for a second yeah so um, the video is uh, sort of noteworthy in that um, there's a lot of like uh, visuals of, of boxers and boxing and things like that and um, based on uh, 
I don't know if this is official, unofficial or what, but I think it's always been sort of discussed amongst the fans that um, he that Morrissey was having his first relationship with a uh, boxer at this time. And his name was Jake. And um, and so that plays a prominent role throughout the video. I don't know that it necessarily ties in with the lyrics, um, but I think it's noteworthy for a, a you know someone who's always been about uh, like I, early on in his his career was talking a lot about celibacy and things like that um to have a a quasi public relationship was um sort of interesting so i don't know that much about morrissey's personal life when you say his first relationship with a boxer you mean <laughs> <laughs> you mean this is his first relationship or just the first in a series of relationships with boxers. Oh, well, I didn't know that the grammar police was going to be here. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> uh, it was his first relationship, period, which happened to be wow. with a boxer. Yeah, at 35 okay. years old. All right. He was only 35 at this time? Yes. Impressive. What have I, yeah, yeah, what have I accomplished true. at 35? I'm 35. Well, you've been in a relationship. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the video, actually, in our first couple episodes, the videos all look like cheap afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. This looks like a rush job. It looks totally perfunctory. Yeah, I was not um, impressed. It's got maybe, maybe four or five different shots like in the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. His hair looks good yeah. in it. Yeah, no, he's a you know he's a compelling looking figure. Yeah. Um, this is from the album Vauxhall and I. Uh, I listened to the album. Did either of you listen to the album? Sure did. Yes. Thoughts. Um, uh, I like Vauxhall uh quite a bit. Um, it is probably a top three Morrissey solo album for me. Um, song wise, um, why don't you find out for yourself is probably my favorite Morrissey song, my favorite Morrissey related song. Um, and Speedway is amazing, uh, as a closer. Um, otherwise there's a lot of just sort of like solid, um, Morrissey solo songs throughout the album that, uh, you know, I like a fair amount. There's a couple of little nice jangly Pete Buck style yeah. lead guitar bits yes. on this album that were the silver lining for me. Even on oh. the song particularly, right? I mean, like yep. some yeah. nice, that's uh, the highlight. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm with, I'm with you, Al. Some of the, yeah, the chimey, like 12 string guitar leads, uh, were bright spots on another wise uh pretty forgettable album for me um can i tell you guys uh that several of the song titles are just unbelievable um (laughs) which ones spring-heeled gym is very good uh (laughs) billy bud yeah is good Uh, Uh, uh the lazy sunbather is pretty good used to be a sweet boy Probably my second favorite. <laughs> and I, I Am Hated yeah. for Loving is just amazing. <laughs> favorite song title of Morrissey's career. Uh, <laughs> All right. 
Yes. I will say in the little bit of Morrissey solo stuff that I've listened to, I do think it's composed with a little more consistent purpose than Smith's stuff to me, where at least it sounds like the the music and the vocals match a little bit more. And that made this more pleasant to me than listening to a lot of Smith's Mm -hmm. stuff. Don't get me wrong. There are some Smith's lyrics that are just awesome. Like, like in, in, uh, the, you know, the one that Trav was talking about, what's the uh, one about, uh, heaven knows I'm yeah. miserable now. Yeah. There's some great lyrics yeah. in that. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like, I like the, uh, hang the DJ song. Mm. What's that one called? Uh, panic. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Yeah. So there's some stuff to like, um, th- this record was produced by Steve Lillywhite, who I don't really have much exposure to, but I know that he was a big nineties producer. Um, do either of you have any? experience with him uh not that i'm aware of the one thing that i think of is w- during the short period where i was a dave matthews fanatic do you remember when oh. dave matthews the philistine he betrayed us all and he made an, an album with electric guitar on it uh before these crowded streets? that was the album every, every day oh. no this is after this is the album after that uh, busted and stuff dmb right? fans no, I don't think the busted stuff oh, had come geez. out yet. I, b- I okay. believe that this was called Every Day. Oh, okay. It had, uh, I did it. Do you <laughs> think I've gone too far? Beautiful, yes. I did yeah. it. Guilty um, as judged. <laughs> a crowning achievement. <laughs> yep. That's the one. Holy and shit. There's space between. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Mr. Deeds soundtrack. Oh, is that on yeah. the Mr. Deeds soundtrack? All Sandler soundtracks well, today. um oh his his discography is something steve lily white (laughs) lily white well so i remember dmb fans who felt so betrayed by every day they were like there they knew that that the band had recorded this album with with lily white and people came to refer to it as the lily white sessions And it became this big thing that fans were always clamoring for the release of the Lily White sessions. And then it ended up being a record. And I, uh, I don't, I didn't look up what the name of it is, but it's got the song Gray Street on it. I know that that was like the, is that busted Maybe. stuff? I wish I could answer right. that with some authority. Who cares? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really don't uh, know. R- Riley Walker <laughs> did a uh, cover album of the Lily White sessions. Oh, really? I've never listened to it. Yeah. I've. Oh, he did a cover album. I, I wonder yeah. how genuine that was i think he's a he's funny, a funny guy. guy on twitter and uh i'm pretty sure it was both ironic and sincere is what it seemed like yeah um like this podcast he perhaps yeah. uh he he recorded uh drums and wires and uh one other xtc album mm-hmm. oh. uh black sea okay and also the laws so some Yes. What's the laws? Oh, the laws, yeah. the band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's some interesting stuff, I guess. After also, learning about Maz, I'm I'm imagining that the laws is another guy with a pompadour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my favorite Steve Lillywhite album is probably Under the Table and Dreaming, but my second favorite is Billy Breathes by Fish. Um, it would be, uh-huh. but I don't okay. necessarily think of. Uh, an album, any of his the albums that he produces is like having the Lily White touch. I don't know what that okay. is. Although I've read that he helped to um, 
kind of come up with the gated uh, reverb snare drum sound that Phil Collins used a oh, lot. Really? Yeah, that was like part of the um, uh, that Peter Gabriel, one of the Peter Gabriel albums that and, uh, uh, Bowie used on uh, Low and Heroes. I think it was after that. It was like the kind where it like, you know, there's that that big explosive reverb sound that just like cuts off, like yeah. it has a hard mm-hmm. cut. It's like a very distinctively 80s sound. Low does have some weird gated yes. snares yeah. kind of sounds, but maybe not with that reverb. Uh, it's like slapback or something. Um, hey, per yeah. Wikipedia, the Lily White sessions were never officially released, but most of the songs were later wow. recorded. For their 2002 album, Busted Stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. I think we're ready to rate this thing. Yeah. Yeah, good. Who wants to get us started? Um, I I suppose I can. um, All right, so we're rating out of five. Yeah. So... Like I said, you know, I, I like I like Morrissey, obviously, you know, the work that he'd done in the 90s. Um, but relative to the rest of his songs, this is not his strongest work. But if I would have heard this on the radio in 1994, it would have really been something. Um, so I kind of, you know, kind of on the fence. I gave it uh, three out of five clubbed seals. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um I'm straddling. I'm 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 not sure about 2 or 3 and I guess we'll have to figure out are we doing halves and decimals and stuff like that? Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. I I'm going to give Certainly. it 2.5. 2.5 club seals. Wow. I I am shocked. Uh I'm giving it 3.5 out of five uh, club seals. I thought I was oh, going okay. to be uh, not the highest rater of the song. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have no, you know, no nostalgic connection to it whatsoever. Um, so this is like in the moment sincere, like it's a pretty good song actually. Um, I think I hated it at first and uh, listening to the album uh, a few times over, over a, you know, couple week period. And, um, it's probably the best song on the album and, and yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty decent. 3.5 club seals. So we're going to keep up with this rating system, which is by the way, heavily borrowed from a podcast that I liked a lot called alphabetical. You should listen to, they, they listen to every Beatles song in alphabetical order and somebody makes up a new, uh, unit of rating every week. So we're stealing that. The other thing that I I thought when we rate a song is that we would briefly talk about, get back to the, the sort of the myth of the Nirvana wannabe, which is sort of the idea that this is the era when, um, alternative rock is being dominated by, Biz, uh, big business trying to cash in on the Nirvana sound. So the, the term Nirvana wannabe was first used in a, I think it was a Rolling Stone article that was trashing Bush, but I think it's a term that is worth bringing up uh, in each episode. Um, 
So my question will just be, is this a Nirvana wannabe? No. No. My answer would be no. <laughs> so that's three points <laughs> against the Nirvana wannabe theory. In fact, this is much more reminiscent of what I think when I was talking about alternative rock radio in their early 90s, that it could yeah. be anything. This seems yeah. like it would have been at Definitely. home. Yeah. And that really diverse it, format. It kind of... Oh, I was just going to say it kind of sounds like uh, more like, uh, well, like R.E.M. and Oasis uh, to me, a, merge, uh, a merger of the two. All right, so let's talk about the future a little bit. Um, I have a little challenge for you before we end the episode. For us or for, the, for so, Trav and I or for the for, listeners? For, uh, for Travis and Quillen. So I had asked you to keep a couple of artists in mind. I wrote this down for you. Those artists are Bush, U2, Green Day, Live, and Alanis Morissette. If we do this podcast all the way through 1999 and we end on all the small things, <laughs> these are the artists that will have had three or more appearances on our podcast meaning that they've gotten uh, number one songs on the modern rock chart at least three or more times. So Bush has four. We'll do four Duh. Bush episodes, three U2 <laughs> episodes, four Green Day episodes, three live episodes, and three Alanis Morissette episodes. So my question is, who do you predict will have the top average rating once we finish this podcast up? Mm. Um, I th man, like I think logic would say it's Green Day, but I don't know. The album tracks are better than the singles, <laughs> Nemo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shit, <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Bush. I was gonna say Bush or Live. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I think there's one um, later Bush heavy hitter. I don't know if it's a number one off the top of my head, but I think we'd all come in yeah, pretty high the, on it. The heaviest hitter is not a oh, number okay. one. Oh, okay. Okay. But the, the, other, the other good single on that album is a okay. number one. Um, I think I'm going to say Green Day. It's a lame choice, but uh, it's the dependable mm -hmm. choice. You know that all those songs will be at mm -hmm. least pretty decent. Yeah. So, Quill, you, you want to choose between Bush or Live? Uh, I'll go Live since Trav went with Bush. Yeah. Okay. That, that way yeah. we're diversified. That way we can have a little friendly yeah. competition. Trav says Bush. I say Green Day. Quillen says Live. And you live. guys got to be honest. No holding back on Bush. <laughs> them due. Yeah, I'm going to trash Bush from <laughs> here on out. You can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Ideally, that email would be a short voice memo about a song that we're including further down the line. Uh, and how will you know what songs are coming down the line? Well, you should listen along with our playlist on Spotify or Apple Music. And next week, to Christ across. To us... A song by the band Live. It's selling the drama. <laughs>
Bye. 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 Bye.